I'm optimistic about our mission to orange pill countries and to work with governments and politicians. It seems counterintuitive, but I think Bitcoin is the best way to fix it. The problem is governments are like a machine and these machines are hungry for capital and all they know for how to feed themselves is to tax more and do things like UBI. But with Bitcoin, we can present them. It's like a Trojan horse. We can present them with something that is better. And this thing that we're giving to them has the properties of fixing them. It changes you when you get into sound money and you have sound money. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, the Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Pseudofin. And we're here today for a Jan 3 special with our good friends, Samson Mo and Prince Philip of Serbia. We're here today to talk about everything going on with Jan 3, including a big wallet launch today, everything to do with nation state adoption, and maybe we'll get into a few other things. So Samson, Philip, welcome to the Free Info Print Show. Thanks for having, Thanks us, for having us. Glad to have you back, guys. Yeah, so so let's get right into it. Like, what is Aqua Wallet, the, the wallet you're releasing today? Yeah, so there's a long story about Aqua. It first started at Blockstream and then Jan3 took it over, took over the development and everything. But um, it's meant to be an easy to use Bitcoin and liquid wallet. And since taking it over, we've done a number of improvements. So it's been rebuilt from the ground up. It has the ability to do uh, trustless swaps, um, swapping like inside swap. It has integration with Bolts and a number of other providers. So the goal is to create this all-in-one wallet that can service uh, Latin America, especially, but all Bitcoiners everywhere in the world. So what you can do is send and receive uh, Bitcoin on-chain, of course. But then we have uh, another wallet we call the um, the spending accounts. So you have a spending L2 wallet, which is liquid Bitcoin and Lightning. So the funds are actually stored in LBTC in liquid Bitcoin, but you have Lightning as an on and off ramp. So for most people, it'll be a seamless experience. It'll just be like using a non-custodial Lightning wallet and with that same level of um, finality and quickness that uh, most custodial Lightning wallets have, where you don't have to deal with things like channel management and liquidity issues. So that is a big plus, but we also support uh, USDT on the liquid chain because we are a liquid-based wallet. So we have additional functionality that allows you to transact um, USDT on a number of rails. So you can send and receive to the altcoin or shitcoin chains too, like Tron and Ethereum, but you store your USDT in liquid, just like you store your Bitcoin in liquid uh, Bitcoin. So the benefit of that is you have the robustness of the liquid network. You have uh, one minute block times, two minute finality. You have confidential transactions. And you have the ability to do interesting things like swaps. So you'll be able to swap USDT out into Bitcoin and then spend it over Lightning. Another feature we have is the ability to pay for USDT transactions with USDT. So like if you use a, a blockchain green wallet right now, you'll need to buy some LPTC or get some LPTC and then pay for that USDT transaction with the LPDC, it's sort of like on the shitcoin chains, it's like the gas fee. But with our wallet, you can just receive USDT and then send it out right away, paying the fee in USDT itself. So I think this is a big game changer for Latin America because you'll be able to travel there as a Bitcoiner, not have to download any other wallet. You can send to people that want USDT on Tron. You can convert from your Bitcoin holdings into USDT 
And it, it just changes the whole dynamic of being able to interact with that economy. So and how do people get their hands on the USDT in the first place? Like, excuse my ignorance here, but like, how does that work in South America? Well, there's a number of ways. So you can, uh, if you're able to use Bitfinex, then you go to Bitfinex and you can change uh, Bitcoin to USDT. You could get paid in USDT and the guy paying you could be using Tron and then you can receive it in liquid USDT. Or if you have um, Bitcoin in your Aqua wallet, then you can just swap that for USDT too. So it's a really fluid and dynamic system being able to move in in any asset and convert to any other asset. I, I meant more the, the fiat rails. Like how, how do you convert your fiat into, like do you convert them into Bitcoins first and then USDT? It seems like what, what, what's, the, what's the big problem that this solves? Well, who has fiat in the first place? Do you still have fiat? No, no, of course not. Uh, yeah, see? No, so you... I don't even have a share. So, uh, <laughs> so, so USDT is used in Latin, Latin America to uh, remove the risk of the volat- volatility in Bitcoin, right? Yeah, so people in Latin are actively seeking USDT. So they, they, they think it's like Bitcoin. So they're looking for USDT. But to answer your question, you can top up your Aqua wallet with Bitcoin and then convert that into liquid Bitcoin and... Uh, USDT, and you can uh, also have um, you can use us. We have a marketplace in the app too, where you can go and buy Bitcoin and then also convert. But we don't have a on ramp yet that would allow you to just buy USDT through a fiat rail. But that is coming. We have per- personal anecdotes. Samson and I, we went when we were in Argentina last, not last November, November twenty twenty two. We were. We were actually using USDT to, uh, to, to convert into actual dollars. Sorry, to, to buy pesos. We're using USDT to buy pesos on the streets. And they had about, in total, they had about 12 or 13 different exchange rates. And of those 12 or 13, about two or three of them were, were linked to USDT. So there's a big market for USDT in Latin, in Argentina and I, well, in most parts of Latin America. So yeah, it's, it acts, USDT really does act as that bridge between fiat and Bitcoin. So having it in our wallet really is like a sort of a learning, bit of a learning curve. So if people, this is, this wallet is not just going to be for, for, for maxi Bitcoiners like ourselves, but it's going to be for people who want that US dollar exposure, but also they have the ability to go into Bitcoin and they have it in the wallet and they'll be like, Oh, that's interesting. What does that do? And they realize that that will, that will uh, retain their purchasing power over time. So. It's a bit like letting the market decide and they will see the benefits of having Bitcoin on their wallet. So, so it's a gateway drug. Completely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and, and you've been traveling around quite a lot lately. So you've been around the Latin America mostly, I, I think, right? Uh, I mean, uh, Philip, you've been to uh, Liechtenstein, I, I believe. The beginning of this year, yeah, actually, we start we started the year with a, a trip to Costa Rica, where I presented at the Legislativa Assembly, Legislativa, the Legislative Assembly, uh, where I presented about Bitcoin, of course, and it was hosted by Congresswoman. I forget her name. Do you remember the name, Samson? No, uh, it starts with no. O. Oh, Obanda, Obanda. Yes, yes, yes. yes. 
And we, yes, that was interesting. We met also with a very high level politician, uh, no names, but he's up there like second in line to the, to the president. So you can, you can guess how high it was. It was a secret meeting. He didn't want any marketing about it, but uh, Samson wowed him with, uh, with his exceptional orange pilling skills and showed him that Bitcoin can actually be given to you in about three different formats on physical, digital and what was the third one um i forgot how you showed it to him but <laughs> but it was good he, right that's the main it was thing good. it was good that was and you could see him in his you could see him just thinking because this guy's an economist and he he uh, he uh we, we told him the story and all that but you could see his brain ticking away thinking wow this is actually pretty impressive i think it was one physical poker chip that's so it, we're yeah. saying it can be a physical object it can also be passed in a card format. So I think I had the uh, the nation state Bitcoin adoption card, uh, well, the one from uh, CoinKite, you know, the tap not tap signer, but the other card. Um, maybe it is tap signer. I got to remember the, all the branding out there. But then we said we can also send it to you in your wallet too, like in Aqua. So it, it's kind of impressive because you can receive Bitcoin in multiple formats, and that kind of drove home the point that Bitcoin is just information. And it's unstoppable. Sorry, so during that trip, we also visited a hydroelectric plant as well, where they're mining Bitcoin. Not a very big operation, but there's a few of these in in Costa Rica. And what other countries? Like I know Suriname and Argentina uh, and Colombia, right? Uh, but that was that was pretty recent, and that was just you, Samson, right? And not Philip. Yeah, I did Colombia on my own in Suriname with Ben Ben Van Hall. Oh yeah, 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 Ben. So yeah, yeah, Suriname is a fascinating country. I, I was there with a the tall ship like uh, 15 years ago. Uh, and what I know about Surinamese politics is that they have like eight state religions. And in order to appease all of the religions, they need to have uh, a, a, a day off on each of the religions' sacred days. So, so, so uh, they had like 170 days off per year or something. So... You've heard of Suriname. Most people haven't. I think when we announced that uh, you know Suriname's moving along, doing something, people were like, "Where's Suriname?" Yeah, but it's a cool place. So how? how what? Well, what is the usual like? How, how do these politicians react when you to orange pilling? Like, what's the, is there a default answer, or or uh, are some of them harder to orange pill? Like, what what happens when you talk to them? Well. <laughs> It really varies. So with our Suriname, our primary point of contact has been the foreign minister, Minister Albert Ramden. So we've met with him a number of times prior to going there. Um, and we also met with the central bank uh, over a series of meetings as well before we went there as well. So we've kind of warmed it up before making landfall. But uh, I think Minister Ramden is very, very keen on Bitcoin. He understands what it can bring to the country. And he's been helping open doors uh, and getting meetings there along with uh, Maya, uh, a friend of ours. So it's been an interesting experience. I would say it's not as challenging as other places because we seem to have a, a foothold there, but it is different. There's no uniform way things play out when you go and try to orange pill a country. Samson mm -hmm. was also in uh, Mexico. He presented at the Senate there. 
Yeah, you've been a, you've been around Samsung. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's make this a little more organized. Can you give us a full picture of of I guess the year or something like that, or the 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 countries you got on the go, something to that effect? Oh man, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's on our blog. Go read our blog. But uh, we're trying we're trying to organize. We're trying to do write ups of uh, what happens in every country now. So you can see we have a write up of uh, Colombia, all the stuff that went down there. We have a write-up for Suriname, and we have a write-up for Montenegro. So our, our last three-ish endeavors. I think uh, Mexico, we didn't have... I mean, no, we did write-up for Mexico, too. That's also on our blog. But yeah, just go to gen3.com and navigate to the blog, and you can read about what we've been doing, who we've been meeting. But we're trying to become more diligent about documenting all of our things that we're doing and all the... Uh, progress that's being made because i think sometimes it's just us tweeting oh we're here and having coffee and in, we don't kind in of in redacted in, in redacted and we yes. don't explain later on what we did which is i think of historical significance so we should we are we should and we are doing that and then on top of that sam says also met with um the governor of indonesia that was that was quite an interesting meeting and he was in indonesia as well yes but there's a I think he was in the running to be a VP, and now he is no longer running for VP. So that's a, that's a bit of a letdown. But in the realm of politics, things change very rapidly. So you can't always bank on. Oh, but still, still, it's 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 a significant. It was a significant guy. You know, he he was running for a country that has a huge population, Muslim population, and that's you know that could be could have been quite a significant change. Also, Samson met with the RFK Junior as well. That was all this year. Yeah. Yeah. That was this year. He, you did Republica Srpska, and you did. I did well, yeah, so for, did, I did. Lich, I did. I did Liechtenstein as well. I went to a conference there, but also met with Prince Hans Adam the 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 second. His the guy who wrote uh, Millennium uh, in the sorry the Millennium in the Third State, in the fourth turning the Third State. <laughs> Fantastic book where he treats the state. Uh, what he says, he writes up saying that the state should act, should act more like a service company attracting citizens as opposed to the other way around. Um, this was a fantastic conference. It was a uh, conference organized by the Austrian School um, Foundation, not not the Mises Foundation, but another foundation. And it was a debate and discussions about uh, private money. So Bitcoin was there on the top, top oh, as, as one of the biggest big topics. And But there was, there was also some central bankers there talking about how they're they're so great and how they are going to save the world. But yeah, it was, it was interesting. Met with uh, cert certain princes, Prince Michael of Liechtenstein, who's Prince Hans Adam's cousin, who I've, yeah, who I've got good connections with now, but uh, met Prince Hans Adam himself, which is, which was an honor. And we, where else did, was that, was, did I go to? Uh, Republika Srpska. Republika Srpska. Montenegro, but first Republika Srpska, no, first Montenegro, where Samson and I and Edwin and Ben, Ben is our CEO, COO, we organized a meeting with the Prime Minister of, of Montenegro, um, Miki Spajic, who is recently voted in. It's a pro-European party, but he is a, he's a crypt, he's a crypto act, uh, he's into crypto, basically. Not, he's not quite maxied yet, but he's into crypto. He understands Bitcoin, but he doesn't fully understand, you know, the implications of getting Bitcoin completely. So 
I don't know if you know that Montenegro has had some issues. Like he was, he was connected to this whole Dokorn uh, scandal and things like that. It's also, yeah. I know there's that was, a that Free was, Cities project there as well, right? There was some Free Cities project there. They, they became very, uh, very old coiny. I mean, very shit coiny mm-hmm, things yeah. happening there. Um, Ethereum, Ethereum Foundation have, have a bit of a foothold there as well, sadly. But, uh, I mean, they'll, you know, they'll find out. The, <laughs> I guess you fuck about and find out, but we had a very good meeting with uh, with Mickey himself, the Prime Minister himself. He's a smart guy, young, and we really liked to be. We covered a lot of topics ranging from um, trying to put Bitcoin on their on their treasury to try to start some Bitcoin community to mining Bitcoin using their hydro and their energy resources. And we're working on some projects there, so we're lining up a meeting with him early next year. Well, that's kind of the theme. We've also started those kind of discussions in Suriname and also in Colombia as well. So that's kind of what we do. We uh, identify a few key pillars that we can work together on potentially and try to drive based on what they're interested in, a, a Bitcoin strategy tailored to the country. And do you use the phrase orange pill now or orange suppository later when you talk to these people? <laughs> I, I'm saving that for later. Uh, I don't want to use it right away. <laughs> Uh, I see. It seems mining. It seems energy is seems to be one one of the topics that comes up a lot when when trying to orange build these nations because really that's that's what drives economies. Uh, that's always one way to try one way for for adoption to happen. The monetary, the um, the getting as a legal tender approach is can happen, but uh, I think the, ex- the example of El Salvador will, will be replicated as as quick uh any well it will be replicated soon but i think energy is going to be the 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 one that drives adoption most and this is one reason when i went one one example is just now i was in republika subska which is a serbian autonomous part of bosnia herzegovina and i had meetings with the energy minister there and they are interested in getting the geothermal they have existing hydro quite a lot of it but they have a lot of geothermal. Serbia in the region and Republic of Serbia, it's all the same region, has a lot of potential for geothermal um, energy. Problem is geothermal is expensive to get going. You know, you need several million to, dr- to drill a few, uh, few holes to actually find the, the, um, the, the sources. It's not like in Iceland where it's just there right underneath you. But once you find those sources, once you init- once that first initial capital is, uh, is spent, you can actually attach Bitcoin mining to it to actually make it more economical feasible and make it a, a, a the, you know make uh, make the, the project much more short term, which appeases the uh, the fiat guys uh, who 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 are trying to uh, do business with. So I'm in conversations with some people there to try and get uh, geothermal happening in our in our region. I think after Montenegro, I also went to Serbia and met with the hereditary prince of Serbia. Oh, you did? Who? Oh. <laughs> Who? I did. <laughs> yeah, no, he can't, Yeah, he he swung by. It was very last minute, but uh, we swung by. I've got to spend some time at our hub. The, we have a Bitcoin. It's called now Hub Twenty One, non-profit hub in downtown Belgrade. Great location. And yeah, it was it was good to have Samson. Edwin was there as well, and it was it was a quick trip before uh, before we went to uh, Montenegro. Was it before Montenegro? After I think it was. It? I it was after. It was after. I don't know. It's all a blur. We should really. It's all a blur. <laughs> we have to write down what we did. Uh, yeah, it'll be a good good summary. 
Uh, you also were in uh, in Amsterdam, and you met uh, again with uh, so, President yeah. Albuquerque. Yeah, I swear I lost so you knew it, actually. Yes, it's uh, I reached out to to, to President um, to, to Miguel Albuquerque, saying if he wants to come on stage with me, and thanks with to Andre uh, Loja that uh, he accepted. So we were on stage together, main stage in Amsterdam, and he on stage committed to a Bitcoin hub, a space, an office space for for in it's called Funchal, Funchal, yeah. For a, it was for an supposed office. to be uh, on the other side of the island, but now it's in Funchal again. Uh, yes, apparently. I think. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he com- he showed me pictures of the actual building, so that's great, great stuff for those guys for them. And when we're all we're all going to meet again now, they're in uh, for Atlantis in the beginning of March next year. Yeah, that's going to be so fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, so this. Prince, uh, uh, what, what was his name? Hans Adam of uh, Liechtenstein. Yeah, Prince Hans Adam II. He's the technically the reigning prince, but because he's uh, he's in half retired mode, he's given it. He's given duties over to his son, Prince Alois. But he was Prince Alois wasn't there, but Prince Hans Adam himself was there for the reception afterwards, and I had some good words with him. Okay, would you say that any of these Liechtenstein princes are uh, uh, fully orange build? I wouldn't say fully orange pill, but they, 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 they own Bitcoin, some of them, most of them. Excellent. I, I, I spoke to a couple of them. I'm not going to name which ones, but they said they've owned, they've sold, but they still, they still hold. Nice. And maybe before we move on to any, uh, any other topics here, uh, maybe we can get back to the uh, Aqua Wallet just a little bit, some of the, the technical details, because I, I think, yeah, you're, you're aware our, our show is a little little more geared towards the already in Bitcoin crowd at the moment. So so just a, a curiosity here, and uh, maybe you can dig into a little bit more about this, but the the liquid and, and lightning part, uh, is, is part of this done in, in the sense that users don't need to have their own lightning channels, but the liquid side is, is self-custodial? Is that the clarification here? So um, if you if you know Blockstream Green, it can create a liquid wallet and a Bitcoin wallet. And one of the innovations I had with Aqua was we use same seed to generate both. So when you create an Aqua wallet in the original version, you just see all of your stuff in one view. You see your Bitcoin, you see your liquid Bitcoin and assets all together. So it reduces the complexity and makes it easier. But I think we've gone one step further now, which was which is we support. Um, uh, lightning as well so we can do that with submarine swaps through bolts but through other providers as well down the road so our plan is to integrate a lot of different services to deal with everything under the hood so bolts is effectively the lsp and you don't have to worry about any channel management you just get liquid bitcoin and when you want to send it out you also go back out through bolts as well and i think this is a very good balance between having it as a non-custodial wallet and still having that ease of using Lightning, like just like you'd be using any custodial Lightning app, uh, maybe even better. So I think it's a, a fair balance, and it's going to change things for a lot of people because a lot of the custodial wallets you can see there um, starting to exit markets right? because they're worried about regulators going after them. So I think the solution is to keep it non-custodial and integrate different services. So we call this the... The model we call the model the non-custodial core model, so NCC. So everything at the 
root of the wallet is non-custodial, but you hook in a lot of different services to access the funds and interface with custodial services and centralized services. Can you still back this with a hardware wallet or is it entirely a soft wallet because of the, the Lightning integration? Uh, it's entirely soft, but we're talking right now about doing a desktop version, which would be compatible with hardware wallet. So it'll still be doable, but uh, we want to keep the mobile wallet very easy to use. So we probably will put more advanced features into a desktop version. All right. And uh, on a more technical side, like how how uh, how hard is it for you to provide the service when you have these fee spikes on chain? Well, that's the... That's the big benefit of using Liquid as the layer two. So a lot of people forget that Lightning is really cool, but when fees are up, it starts to become a burden to manage all the channels and open channels, right? So it's storing everything in Liquid Bitcoin. So we don't have to deal with the fee spikes unless we see some massive spike in Liquid usage in case, in that case, we, we might see something happen. But in general, Liquid transactions are going to be very... Uh, cheap and still very fast. So it should alleviate a lot of that problem that people have been having with main chain usage with Lightning. So this is sort of pairing Lightning with Liquid into one, one paradigm. And I think this makes it a lot easier to use non-custodial Bitcoin than using you know, Bitcoin and your own Lightning node. And how safe is Liquid? Like what, what would it take to break Liquid? for a, a malicious actor? Yeah, so I think um, people often complain about Liquid saying it's it's centralized, but Liquid has never made any claim that is com- it is completely decentralized. It is, uh, if you're familiar with Fediment, it's it's all based on Federation. So uh, Finn and uh, Philip and Knut, you guys could make a Fediment and be the operators. But Liquid is the same thing, but just done with exchanges and Bitcoin businesses. So like, uh, Bitfinex, Bitmex, um, Bull Bitcoin, Jan3 ourselves. Like it's a federation of 60 people, and a subset of those 60 people are running the functionaries, which is the hardware that deals with the block signing and manages the multi-sig wallet. So to answer your question, to attack Liquid, you would have to, uh, if you want to attack it maliciously, you would have to breach 11 of the 15 simultaneously and extract the keys from the the HSMs and the functionary box. So it's kind of like an Ocean's Eleven type of thing. But most people, like, it's not disclosed where the thing, the hardware is, and it's all around the world. So it would be a pretty impressive feat to pull off if it could be pulled off. Yeah, you, you would need to buy a lot of $5 wrenches, or $15 wrenches, or whatever the price is now. <laughs> you need Catherine Zeta-Jones. So basically, it, this is all going to be usable. When this episode is out on Gen 3, this is all going to be usable. Users can download it, get started, right? Anything else on the Aqua topic to, to mention here? Yeah, fingers crossed. It'll be out. <laughs> the biggest barrier, I think, is uh, Apple approval. So we might end up, well, right now, you might see it live on, on Google Play. Uh, it'll be out on Asteroid too, but uh, Apple, we might be in some extended beta period or something like that where you can just download it through test flight. But we'll see. Fingers crossed that Apple will let it through the, the gates. All right. You might have noticed that we've recently partnered with Amber App. After our episode with Izzy, their CEO and our close friend, we knew we would have to partner with them in some way. 
If you haven't seen our episode with Izzy, definitely go check it out. You'll see why it's such a great fit. And honestly, they're following the orange glowing light, like Izzy always says. And that's exactly what we try to do here at the Freedom Footprint Show. The big news about Amber App is that they're going to be launching their version 2.0. I've seen some of the screenshots and it looks fantastic. They're going to be including a non-custodial on-chain wallet, an anonymous lightning wallet, a fiat wallet, and finally, it's going to be an exchange, of course. It's going to be just this super app. They're also going to be launching globally. Everyone's going to be able to use it. We're really excited about all that. Stay tuned with us and you'll hear all about it. And for now, check out their website, amber.app, and the episode with Izzy to find out more. Yeah, what else about uh, nation-state adoption? Was there any place that stood out like this is this is like maybe you can't disclose that but like uh, that stood out among the nation states as a a good place to start a a a citadel movement if you will i'm a fan of redacted what about you philip (laughs) yeah redacted sounds good (laughs) yeah it has really good opportunities there yeah the right people the right mindset the right terrain good mining good energy uh mix yeah let's go let's go redacted what about what about plans for the for the upcoming year or so? Uh, what and I and I know probably specifics in terms of everything is going to be redacted, but is is there any uh, anything big coming up in the the Jan three world uh, nation state side, other technical side? Well, I think it's follow through on a lot of the um, projects that we have. I think at the forefront is probably the the three big ones: Colombia, Suriname, and Montenegro. Uh, we've sent out proposals to Suriname and Montenegro is coming, right, Philip? It is, yep. It is coming. The, the proposal is being written right now. Philip just like stopped typing on his keyboard, uh, but it was almost done. Uh, Colombia, we haven't uh, re-engaged yet, but there is a very specific project with flare gas that, that was identified and the president there said that he wanted to put together a working group, but we've been really preoccupied with Suriname still, so and Montenegro, so we'll get there. But a lot of it's just follow through. It's not going to happen as quickly as, say, El Salvador, where you have a president that is already orange-pilled and is already a Bitcoiner. We're starting from zero, so our challenge is a lot bigger than you know just talking to an orange-pilled president already, which is pretty cool if you can get that. But in 2024, I think we have a lot of other things on our roadmap, um, a lot of other countries we need to go to. Uh, Argentina is one of them with Malay. So we've been in contact with some of his people and we're arranging something probably later in the year because he's pretty busy right now dealing with everything that's going on, the protest, uh, renegotiations with the IMF, etc. So Argentina is definitely a major target. It seems like a a great opportunity for them if they can move quickly because they do have uh, a staggering amount of debt which could be alleviated with a bitcoin bond so but uh, also we should talk a bit about el salvador i mean uh, president bukele has said they're going to do the bitcoin bond now or next year oh, so yeah. that should change things up too and i think drive a lot more countries to implement a bitcoin strategy and potentially do a bitcoin bond but in terms of bitcoin bonds we've had discussions now with um Montenegro for a hydro bond, Costa Rica for a hydro bond, Ecuador for a hydro bond. We probably will go to Ecuador. And um, Argentina definitely could use one too. So there's a lot of things that 
need to be done and we just have to hunker down and keep pressing ahead. Yeah, uh, Argentina is very interesting. Like we we had a, a great talk with uh, Ariel Aguilar, who's been trying to orange peel melee since like 2014 or something. So so he's definitely aware. I don't think he's fully orange peel or anything like that. But Argentina is taking the more Misesian approach and not having legal tender at all is basically saying you could use whatever you want for trading with one another, which which is the the preferable way, I guess. And Ariel said something about what what was it, Luke, the Minister of Interior or something that was fully orange pilled? Diana Mondino. Diana Mondino, that's the one. Yeah. So uh, it's all very positive there. But what are you? What are your? What's your angle when going to Argentina? If they're not going to implement any legal tender laws or anything, is it like the uh, uh, geothermal and the uh, uh, or geothermal? Is it a bond thing? Oh, I, let's see. I think we can go to a Bitcoin bond structure if they're interested in eliminating debt faster. So when Millet took office, he said something like uh, Argentina should expect that uh, fixing things is going to take. T- 20, 30 years, but Bitcoin can accelerate that by issuing a number of Bitcoin bonds, maybe 5 billion in Bitcoin bonds within 2024 could potentially in 10 years just eliminate most of their debt. So we'll see if that can happen. But there's also um, mining public-private partnerships where they they mine themselves as a country. Uh, we met with, uh, Philip, we met with their um, their energy company, YP. Uh, YPF, YPF, yeah, yeah. yeah. They are sitting sitting on a lot of energy, a lot of oil reserves as well that have not been used. So really, energy uh, mining potential in Argentina is massive. So really, one way to eliminate that debt is is there. Um, What else? Just uh, they could just buy Bitcoin too, because they can just convert their reserves into Bitcoin or sell gold and buy Bitcoin. There's a number of things they can do. So we have to see what works for them. I don't think that Malay is going to become a, a Bukele and you know start talking about Bitcoin a lot, but I have a feeling that he would adopt some pragmatic strategies, but uh, he's not going to become a, a sailor or Bukele and talk about Bitcoin on podcasts. No, but he's um, certainly uh, flying the flag of libertarianism. So just let's just hope that he delivers on his promises. What, what, what Millet has been saying, he, he's very entertaining as a politician. He's got a lot of charisma and his policies really are, are, are excellent. So he's definitely ticking a lot of boxes. There's a lot of conspiracy theories there saying he's linked to this or linked to that. But forgetting that aside, right now he's so far kind of delivering a lot of his promises and, and he's getting things moving. So it's really exciting times to see a country like Argentina who's, who's had, who's had like a hundred years of fiat nightmares over and over again of their currencies crashing over and over again. That someone like Millet, someone, some Rothbardian ANCAP, uh, let's see, uh, enigmatic, uh, charismatic person like this is coming through could spur other, uh, movements around the world to, 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 uh, to do what, what they're doing. But yeah, it's, it's exciting. I just, I, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm very entertained by him. You know, yeah, the, the proof so is, yeah, the, the proof is in the pudding. We're yet to see, but I'm very entertained by what he has to say. I speak Spanish, and I have to say the translations are all true. He's actually saying all those things. That's fantastic. And he has the best haircut in politics ever. Uh, Love it. As well. Uh, 
So yeah, we're very very hopeful. Like just let's just hope that he delivers on his promises and and really manages to reduce the size of government. And the funny thing with his critics and the criticism uh, against him is like uh, he's a Rothbardian, as you say, and it's kind of hard to argue against Rothbardian logic. <laughs> That's the whole yeah. point of it. So so it's it's very entertaining to see. And I think like if this can, you know, spread like a virus to to other countries and we can actually get a a movement for you know reducing the size of the state every, like uh, that would just be the perfect timeline to live in i think it's uh things are changing i mean there are a number of other elections in 2024 in latam and 2025 and onwards so we could see a wave of um bitcoin friendly presidents and prime ministers arrive um, there is one candidate in Mexico, Eduardo Verastegui. He is a friend of uh, Malay, and they've been taking selfies together. He also met with President Bukele, but if he wins in Mexico, that could be very interesting for Mexico. So th the tide seems to be turning. We, seems to be, we seem to be going back towards pragmatism, uh, reasoning, and not money printing. Hard, 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 hard times create hard men. <laughs> Since we're talking about all the pragmatism in in Latin America, uh, in in the realm of non Latin America, is uh, are are we going to potentially see any positives in the next couple of years in uh, America's hat, uh, uh, Canada, my my uh, my country, or Samson as well? Uh, what's going on there? There's some big things happening that the Trudeau government seems to be uh, trying to do now. UBI specifically. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Canada is such a lost cause. I mean, I was hoping we would get an election in 2024. Maybe we might, but it doesn't seem that likely anymore. It, the next election is going to be 2025. And I really hope that we get rid of Trudeau at that point and uh, Pierre Polyev wins. But um, if Pierre doesn't win, Canada is absolutely screwed. I mean, you can look at what they're doing right now. They're talking about UBI and giving every adult in Canada, 2000 Canadian. So that's like you know, 1600 US dollars. But that's just not possible. It's not even a failure of economics at this point. It's a failure of basic math. Like you do the math, there's 30, probably 32 million adults in Canada, 39 population. You've give everyone 2000, that's 60 billion some odd dollars. And each year you're getting close to a trillion dollars Canadian. And our GDP is like maybe two trillion US. So the math just doesn't check out. It's impossible. Because just to clarify, that's that's per month, right? You're talking per month. Well, it's sixty something billion per month, I think. And per year, it's getting close to a trillion Canadian dollars. So that's half of GDP. A little bit less than half of GDP. So it's not a failure of economics. It's not a failure of understanding of money. It's a failure of simple math, like grade eight math, like just do the math, multiply it out. Well, it's a failure of economics too. No, it's, it's a failure of everything, but it's still like a fundamental failure of grade eight math, even grade seven, grade six math. If you do it, it you could probably get a grade six kid doing that. But the realistic thing that we can do in Canada is not universal basic income, but universal basic Tim Hortons. Give everyone a hundred dollar Timmy Ho card a month. And that will cost us about 48 billion a year. We could probably afford that. 
I'll have to remember to go to that Tim Hortons next time I fly, Luke. There's apparently one here at Alicante Airport that I could, uh, so I could support Canada a bit. I'll get well, a, I think the chain is owned by Americans now, so you're not really getting right. so much support. And the and the the quality of the donuts has gone down in the last five years or so. And the and coffee, the coffee. they change recipes. Yeah, yeah. Canada, it's, it, all, it, it's the yeah, it's the picture of Canada going downhill. Basically, yeah. the way I see it, universal basic income isn't universal. It's not basic, and it's not fucking income. And the Federal Reserve Bank isn't a bank, has no reserves, and isn't federal. So, so all of this stuff is just so backwards. The, the craziest thing is that people really do seem to think that money grows on trees and that you can somehow conjure up new money and it's going to be just as valuable as the other money that's floating around. But it's, it's so basic and yet people fall for it. It's, it's pretty scary. Uh, and closer to home, Infinity Day is not Infinity Day. It shouldn't be on eight twenty one. It's eight fourteen. Okay. <laughs> Elaborate. Because <laughs> there's so many there's like five plus million lost coins. Oh yeah, yeah. This is another joke uh, flying over my head. But okay. no, no, no. The the twenty one is still there. We don't know if okay, it's fine. ever gonna move or not. And uh, you can't really meme everything over fourteen million. Fine. It doesn't fine. really work. <laughs> <laughs> it's an inside joke just between uh, us yeah yeah we're all in the we're all in the business of number based memes right 821 gen 3 is we, we we've all got to stick to our memes so that they propagate further and and come into more and yeah. more uh power together right yes yeah maybe we should have that day on jan 14 instead samsung what do you think <laughs> isn't there something like uh january 9th is the the real genesis block or something I, I remember there's something there. Oh I yeah, recall. Took a, yeah. well, it took it like a week to, to to mine the first block or something, did it? Like two weeks, right? Two weeks. I think Satoshi w- waited for quite a while for Hal to come online. I guess. Or yeah. Gen three is not Gen three either. It's all a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but it is good marketing, so I guess we'll stick with it, right? You guys will stick with it. Yeah. Philip, we saw a tweet of yours the other day about uh, the uh, pros uh, and almost no cons of uh, going back to a monarchy structure. For the, the tweet was in Serbian or, or originally. Right? There is, so there is no, no. I actually wrote it in English, but there is an English version below. Um, oh yeah, I actually, I actually took down the original tweet because the translation was not good enough. So I re retweeted it and with an English version below. But yes, this is in, this is in, in response to the election mess that we've had here in, in Serbia. Uh, we've had snap elections that were called earlier this year. This was post the school shooting. I don't know if you guys heard about, but back in May third this year, there was a school shooting with about eight kids were, were killed. Nine kids actually were killed in uh, in, in in a predominant quite a, quite a affluent school in in downtown Belgrade. Actually, the same school that my wife went to when she was a kid. Since then, there was there's every weekend every every weekend there's been there have been protests, big organizations, massive amounts of people taking to the streets that were first saying you know anti-violence protests, but those kind of brought, then formed into anti-government, anti-state protests. So the state decided, the uh, the ruling party decided to do snap elections, and they organized that for the 19th, 17th of December recently. 
And the elections happened <clears throat> and there was a lot of, let's call it obvious. I don't want to get myself in trouble over here, but I said there was a lot of obvious, uh, inconsistencies with the way the, the results were tallied and how voting happened. And there was a lot of, uh, incidents and, uh, and scandals here and there. And Belgrade was meant to be won by the opposition party, but it transpired that they didn't. The opposition, the, sorry, the leading party went on air even before the electoral commission was announced the result and claimed victory and claimed victory of Belgrade. So this has pissed off a lot of people and a lot of people have taken to the streets ever since now for two weeks, um, demanding that the elections are cancelled and <clears throat> rerun and done fairly, maybe with some sort of, I don't know, uh, guidance or for, uh, uh, in intermediary or something like that. And I've been getting a lot of pressure to, to comment on this. And uh, I, meanwhile, I wished everybody a happy Christmas, uh, a happy Gregorian Christmas. That's the first Christmas we celebrate the uh, the Julian calendar, the old school calendar. And I got a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of uh, people saying, "You know, why don't you care about us?" Comment, comment, comment. So I was like, "Okay, I'm going to comment." So I comment that I think it's time that uh, I I'm not going to be a critic, but I'm going to be I'm going to show my support for the uh, for the government's model that I truly support in, and that is monarchy. And then I listed all the I voted, by the way, and I said that the reason I voted was was because I wanted people to to exercise their civil duties and to go out and vote. But I said, you know, I voted. I'm not aligned to any political party. And I said, my, my ballot may have been empty or, you know, but doesn't matter. I, I was just getting people to, 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 to vote. And I, and basically I gave out reasons, but why monarchy? I guess, you know, most of those reasons are, I mean, they're, they're aligned with, uh, Hans Hermann's Hoppe's, uh, democracy, the God that failed. Yeah. And I mean, I'll give you a few of them. And, and it, it's basically that monarchs have much more long-term planning. Uh, monarchs have uh, a big strong sense of uh, individual property rights. If uh, citizens in that country's property rights are protected or strongly protected, then you won't have any uprisings, any, any, any um, disgruntled citizens that will try and overthrow the monarch because their properties are being taken away from them. So that's, that's kind of obvious. Uh, monarchies are stable and they have continuity. You know, there's, uh, they're, they're, there's predictable succession and it's a stable form of governments, which kind of helps with economic and foreign policy planning. In monarchies, there's a big reduced uh, rent seeking, um, as opportunities as well. Uh, protection against uh, majority tyranny. Uh, monarchies are less prone to the tyranny, the tyranny of the majority as the monarchies, the, the dissentment isn't dependent on majority opinion. Also, monarchies are not subject to the election cycle-driven short-termism. I gave a few more po points, basically saying, you know, the incentive of personal gains, the, four, the short four, uh, four or five-term cycles that uh, democracy go through, meaning that uh, uh, democratic leaders have an incentive to accumulate as much wealth as they can during those small cycles. And um, there's also, yeah, basically... Absolute accountability in democracies. Leaders don't have absolute accountability. They can just be, they can just be sacked or fired or whatever. Whereas monarch has absolute accountability for all his actions. Therefore will take sound, prudent decisions because otherwise his families and his generations to come will be affected by his stupid decisions. What are I you was pushing for a, a 
pure monarchy yeah. or a well, so that's, or a- this is this is the thing i was i was giving i was giving examples and i was giving uh points for uh pure monarchy for an absolute monarchy i didn't say this but that's what i was saying because in order to uh to criticize the republic i had to give pure ex- examples of a pure of, of absolute monarchy that would be the ideal but many people many uh people around the world would see this as uh, as just uh see monarchies as too much of a uh as 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 a dictatorship they associate monarchies with the dictatorships there's a big difference but we're not going to get into those differences so if really realistically if the if monarchy was going to return to serbia then i would be pushing for parliamentary or constitutional monarchy so I, for example, would create a model similar to that of uh, Liechtenstein and the and the democracy that we see in Switzerland. The reason why I chose Switzerland is because of that de- their decentralized approach. According to their cantons, they have mu- uh, uh, they have direct democracy, and this is something that most of the world doesn't really have. Is just the ability to, um, I mean, in the canton they have a high degree of a- autonomy. They um, they have policies tailored to local needs and they have the cantons sort of competing with each other. Basically, they empower citizens, citizens to have a say in the legislative process uh, and they, they provide citizens with more participation and it gives citizens more, um, more individual autonomy and self-determination to be part of that process. So it's, it's just much more beneficial. Plus, the parliamentary po- component inspired by Liechtenstein's, what's known as Liechtenstein Landstag, is the parliamentary aspect of it, where the monarch kind of elects the prime minister and the cabinet, and it's rec- it was recommended by the monarch. The monarch's role is essentially just symbolic and focused on areas like foreign policy, whereas the cabinet and the and the ministers will be will be taking the more role of the executive but with all this you'll have checks on the power on on the you have checks on the powers on the sorry in the separation of powers across the legislative legislative executive and judicial branches i mean i'm trying to i'm trying to form together this argument now my first tweet was there to just activate people, just to uh, trigger people, which it did. But I'll be following up with it with a with a more, let's say, um, with an with more of a plan, a model of how I see monarchy can work in Serbia, and I'll give my model, which is the which is that of uh, the monarchy, the parliamentary monarchy of Liechtenstein, and the direct democracy of Switzerland. And this is also based on Prince Hans Adam's. Uh, view of the state in the third millennium and to say that the state should act more as a service company, should act as a service company there to cater to its citizens and not the other way around. It should be, it should be there to attract citizens and not to push citizens out. And this is something that we've been seeing all over, all over democracies around the world is how, how republics, democracies, all these places, they're not really doing their best to attract citizens. And you're getting a lot of net Net migration, net uh, migration happening out of sight. Specifically, in Canada, we have uh, you know reverse immigration, so people are leaving. Reverse immigrants are leaving because they they can't afford to live here anymore. They can't make money anymore, so they're just better off going home. And I've read stories of people coming to Canada and leaving in debt because it's so bad here. I I just want to say that in Serbia, Serbia, we've had we have a serious issue of net out migration. Um, we've had a serious issue of uh, brain drain for many, many years, and that was normal because 
things in Serbia and the region have always been rather unstable. And Serbians in general, they become, they're quite educated a lot. They're technical, educated uh, people. And then they end up getting better jobs and better lives outside of Serbia. In this, the, the system that I propose is, is one that will allow, will, will, will foster better industry and focus on the areas that Serbia can excel in, which is, will be technology, but also, uh, agricultural and other areas that Serbia does well in, get the state to be acting like a service company, not trying to extract wealth for them, but actually giving them less tax, no tax, and having them to uh, give the, the, the Serb the, uh, the, the choice not to want to leave the country. At the moment, Serbs really want to leave the country, and I don't see many Serbs coming back, although I have seen Serbs coming back from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, Philip. yeah <laughs> I, I really like the I really like the Swiss model because um, they're politicians. They're people in 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 Congress. They're not full time politicians like in a lot of places. Like for example, Canada, they have a real job. They might be a farmer or you know working an office job or something. And being a part of the government and participating in that is more of a addendum to their main identity so they don't lose grounding to reality they understand like they have to earn a living they understand things cost money whereas when you have that segregation of the people making the rules and governing between them their lives and reality then that's where you get things like ubi that are so disconnected from what can be possible or what even should be talked about it's just like some ethereal idea out there that seems like it might work and it sounds good on paper to some people but it's impractical in all essence completely impractical that's why i use i use canton zug as an example and i also use dubai as an example of how you become competitive as a nation as an area as a jurisdiction and those two places have in common is they are in seeing a lot of growth happening through tax advantage locate um setup and you're having a lot of businesses and people relocating to these areas and this can happen in any country countries should be competing states governments should be competing with each other to try and attract sit that to retain citizens and attract other citizens and this is not happening dubai is an interesting case because the the argument western countries always make is that freedom of speech is the most important thing but the, the most important aspect of freedom of speech is freedom of monetary speech. Because as Bitcoin has clearly pointed out to us, uh, money is nothing but information. It doesn't have to be anything more than just information. And as long as you, uh, as you restrict that, you don't have any freedom of speech. Uh, so property rights are way more important than freedom of speech. And this is why people go from Europe to Dubai, which, you know, from a Western democracy perspective, Dubai sort of restricts free freedom of speech. But uh, from a monetary perspective, uh, the European countries uh, restrict speech even more because money is the most important form of speech there is. So I think that th this notion of freedom of speech uh, uh, is, is wrong because it discludes money as speech it's just not there that that narrative is just not there and um, yeah that's the most important aspect europe is the best example of dissociation from reality and the people governing i mean you have uh, spain now shutting down nuclear plants joining 
Germany in a race to the dark ages. So it's just like a, a, the best example of what not to do. I'll have to get a diesel generator, Luke, like to continue to do the pod from here uh, if they shut down the reactor. <laughs> Next up, Wasabi Wallet, the privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy to use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. And the best part is they've been making huge improvements to the app. They're really focusing on the user experience, adding advanced features for power users. They just keep getting better. You send your coins to your Wasabi wallet and they get combined with loads of other coins using the Wabi Sabi protocol. So they're private on the other end. Your tracks are covered so you can work on expanding your freedom footprint without worrying about your privacy. So check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. Our newest sponsor is Geyser. They are the portal to the creator economy on Bitcoin. On Geyser, creators can monetize their work through their communities in a social and engaging way, and supporters can send sats to their favorite projects. Geyser has also recently integrated with Zaps and Podcasting 2.0, so every Zap sent to a Geyser address shows up on the Geyser page. We have a Geyser fund ourselves. It's the best way to support our show directly with Bitcoin. So whether you're a creator or a supporter, check out geyser at geyser.fund today. Well, so uh, I, Philip, I think the, uh, the question that everybody, like the, mo the most common objection to monarchy in general is like, how do you prevent Joffrey Baratheon? When, when, when Philip was going on and on about uh, absolute monarchy, I was going to say, have you watched Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. What's the guarantee that Philip doesn't go mad? Here's the thing. I think the fact that a monarchy has never been tried under a proper hard money standard. Yes, it's been tried under gold standard, but it hasn't been tried under a Bitcoin standard. The gold standard was always going to lead to, to more fiat. Um, I think under, under Bitcoin standard, you can't, it's a system that can't be gamed. So you have you have a Jeff, a Jeff what's good, Joffrey? Who is it? The character that you, you Joffrey said Baratheon. From? There's a history of Mad Kings. Like there's several in the. It's all the whole story is about Mad Kings. Yeah, the, the Game of Thrones is based on the the War of the the the, the Roses, like or which was a horrible episode of uh, UK history. But then we're just talking about uh, a drama on TV, and that, <laughs> that's no. That but sells. we're not. We're talking about an actual historical event. Oh, really? Uh, the 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 events it's based on, like at least the War of the Roses. Book. War of yeah. the Roses, yeah. Well, my argument against that would be, well, against uh, having a bad egg come and try and destroy everything is that within the structure, that's why something like Liechtenstein's Landstag um, setup is is ideal, is because you will have checks within that royal family. You'll have balances to make sure that if you do get a bad egg, like a Joffrey. Then he his actions will uh, will be will be scrutinized, and he can easily be taken out or put to the side, and someone else earned, replaced before he does anything stupid. I mean, these are the things that would happen I'm, in a pure absolute monarchy. Yes, we have we have problems with that, but in a, in a more in, in a say in a more like say decentralized constitutional parliamentary monarchy with checks with checks and balances within the family with you'll have advisory bodies you'll have like a uh, a, a privy council you have a crown council and you will have the executive board which is like the cabinet ministers like a, of that form part of the government if the king starts wanting to do crazy things like print loads of money which a won't ever happen under a bitcoin standard 
but he will then, okay, okay, I can't, that, that, that crazy king will say, okay, I want to do something else. I want to impose X, Y, and Z laws that will favor, that will favor me and my family better. But then you'll have advisory bodies going, uh, pushing against that. And I guess you'll have a lot of checks and balances in that organization to stop him from doing that. And you will have, you will, and he will be easily replaced. <laughs> Didn't we talk about governance structures when I was in Prague? I think we did in our Freedom Footprint show back then. Oh yeah, yeah. We, I, I think we did, uh, and we talked about your uh, strategy game as well. I think it was connected yeah, yeah. to that infinite fleet. But anyways, I don't think uh, the answer is uh, democracy or constitutional monarchy or anything like that. I think ultimately we have to evolve to a system of governance that's based on consensus, uh, whereby you have foundational rules and you don't keep making rules. I mean, if you if you give a guy a hammer and you say your job is to nail nails into walls, he'll cover your entire, entire house with nails. And that's really what lawmakers are doing. Like your job as lawmaker, they'll make tons of laws. Most of the lawmakers these days don't even read the laws. And there's no way that the laws are working in a holistic, unified, harmonious system. There are, there are probably loopholes and um, contradictions and everything like that. And what that does is allows the law to be weaponized, to be used against normal people because if they have the will, they'll find some justification that you broke some obscure law somehow and throw you in the gulag. So there's a risk to that. I think ultimately the final evolution of human governance is you have something close to like the Ten Commandments in Infinite Fleet. We call it uh, foundational law. And then you might have some bylaws on top of that. But it, the whole body has to be very minimalistic because just like with money, you don't want to be having to spend all your time investing your money to protect your savings you shouldn't have to worry about all these new laws coming out all the time and like in canada i think we have to have tampons in men's bathrooms now and things like that like you should be able to just live your life you know have your family enjoy time with your family and not have to worry about having to invest your money and having to follow what trends the government is pushing this this week yeah the, this b- back to hoppian and the rothbardian thoughts here like the, 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 another counter argument to the Joffrey Baratheon situation is that that can happen in a democracy too, like Hitler, Mussolini, or Macron or Trudeau. They all got elected in in. Um, uh, uh, it it democ- happens all the time. <laughs> it happens all the time. Every so, single time. <laughs> yeah. So, so the Rothbardian argument is that if you're thinking about human rights, and you you have to take into account that a human right cannot impose uh, cannot violate another human being's right if if you if you have that as your basic framework for human rights so like uh you can't really say that housing is a human right because someone needs to build the house like and if if that is done by force it's not really a, a right but the one person's right becomes another person's obligation right and you have to enforce that so so the conclusion they draw is the only universal human right that can be true for all times and all people is the right to be left alone uh so that's what your society is you don't really need 10 commandments you only need the right to be left alone that's the only like that that's the ultimate ethical beacon to 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 strive for i i guess I don't think we'll ever get to be left alone, but I think there will be some simpler code that can be implemented and and work at scale. Yeah, but but by not being by being left alone, I mean like uh, 
not being violated against. No force is well, allowed. I think maybe it's not necessarily left alone, but I, I think there was a saying that the government should not have any powers that a normal person does not have. And I think that is a good baseline to go by. Yeah. Like the government can't draft you to send you to war because I can't say, no, you're going to go to war, right? You, you can pay me though. Yeah, uh, I can pay you. <laughs> and uh, if you pay me enough, I'll even go to Canada. Like, <laughs> are you sure? Think, think about that for a minute. Think about that. Think about yeah, it. Yeah. Maybe not Canada. That's uh, like uh, uh, the, the two places I won't go to. There's a Canada and Mordor. Like, I refuse to go there. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll use the right pronoun for you. <laughs> we have to use the right pronoun for me. That's his royal highness. <laughs> <laughs> that's my pronoun, too. Oh, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Since I can choose it myself, I'm also his royal highness now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but with, with Bitcoin and under a Bitcoin standard, if they say more countries, more places started adopting Bitcoin standard with intergenerational wealth, you will start to get um, wealthier families. You will start to get sort of, I guess, modern dynasties being born in that respect. And I think you will get maybe you will have some monarchies returning or something, something along those lines. I think that, um, people like to look up. People do like to look up to to uh, to certain families, for, uh, to certain traditions and customs, and they look up to families for. Um, I guess it's for. Uh, it's not they like to be led. I guess, well, maybe they do like to be led. I'm not too sure, but I think if we were just living in a pure volunteerism, you know, just uh, being le left alone, uh, pure and cap society, which is which is fantastic. I think people would lose their their identity. I think I mentioned this in my last in the last show with you. Yeah, but but. Are they mutually exclusive? Can't you have like uh, a royal family? I, I I see no problems with having a royal family in an ANCAP society. Yes, that's it. That's what I would say. I think a royal family in ANCAP society would only work if you were under Bitcoin standard and 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 the royal family has no absolute no way of controlling the money supply. And I think that the royal family will be treated, will be, will act a little bit like how religious religion acts. It's just a way of, of, of keeping the faith, keeping traditions, keeping customs. And, and, and most important thing is family values for, for it's, I don't, to me, it's an argument that I'm trying to work on. It's a lot better than what I'm seeing these days with all these republics blowing up left, right and center. And I think if we return to, if we return to some more monarchical, uh, at least have some, Another check on balance of check, check of a check of power on these countries out there, on these uh, these democratic processes. Then that would do that would go a little bit in helping helping create some sort of stability out there. Well, sound money is sort of like a, a check on power, right? Money is power. A lot of the governments create power by printing money, right? They can they can they can use the money they print to do a lot of different things, like wage war and finance war, but uh, under a sound money standard, you can't really do that. So it's a check and balance of it in and of itself. But I think more importantly, if you're talking about dynastic uh, continuance, Bitcoin and sound money rewards prudence and you know, doing things in a smart way, whereas the fiat system rewards stupidity. You could be the worst ruler ever and print money and you'd still look like you're successful. And that's really what a lot of the governments these days are doing, like Canada case in point. They look successful, but that's because you're just looting the 
the country and the people. Yeah, they're, they're just temporary caretakers instead of owners, and then they're incentivized to maximize short-term gains and at the expense of long-term capital values, which ultimately leads to like higher taxes, more regulations, and less respect for property rights. And basically, democratic rulers have have a, have have less personal stake in the long-term health and wealth of a country, whereas monarchs are absolutely opposite that. They are incentivized for the long-term generation, uh, generational wealth of their country because they want their their offspring to do well in, in hundreds and thousands of years to come. Yeah, we had a great conversation with Alex Svetsky about this general wealth, uh, generational wealth stuff uh, a couple of weeks back. And like he points out this that the new aristocracy or the new feudal class or whatever will 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 all have uh, they're in that position if if three generations from now you you've inherited a lot of bitcoins you're in that position because of the responsible behavior of your parents and grandparents there's no other way to get there you can't get there violently which you could in the past like the old uh, like to get into uh, an elite class today is a, is a very different process. Uh, like, uh, of course, you can you can get there by somewhat responsible means, but you can also get there by by manipulation and theft and bad behavior. So, so there's a a, a mix, and historically, that's always been true. I mean, uh, you could become a king by by killing everyone else. Like, th- there's a new paradigm coming where a very much less violent way is more profitable. Uh, for generations, and I, I, I think that's a very more powerful than people think. Uh, that aspect of it. And can I can I add something here as well? Uh, just an, another point on your your topic about sort of being the custodian of the the values and even just the stability in in the culture. I I'm doing a series right now uh, with Rob Breedlove on the What Is Money show about Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning exploring the psychological significance basically of, of how narrative and, and myth is a way of transmitting cultural ideas and the, uh, the, the way the world actually is as opposed to the, uh, the way people act like the world is as opposed to the scientific definition of the way it is, basically. But the, the, the point that we were just covering, I don't think the episode is out yet, but it might be by Jan 3. The, the, we were covering that there is a, a need for cultural stability or else you get absolute chaos. And the terminology used there is is something like, it, by Peterson, is something like state, which might be sort of used wrong because he's, he's not talking about that in the nation state sense. But uh, state culture is the realm of order and is the realm of literally the the patriarchy but not in a bad way we've we've been doing patriarchy in only the bad way basically in modern discourse but all of the positives of that is the continuity of order the stability of the culture and i'm seeing this parallel exactly philip with with what you're saying as far as there there being an, an actual uh not not even it's not even a symbol it's it's uh, for a group of people royal family being a group of people by definition that that is able to carry the cultural uh, uh the spirit of the culture so that there is that stability and going too far in any one direction you go too far into a, a tyranny and that's that's a bad thing as well and we've already covered the negatives of that but straying too far away from there being any form of culture is also a negative and i 
I would absolutely say that we're we're in in that stage in many parts of the world. I don't know what 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 do you think about that? That was that was my contribution there. That's it. I read a really interesting um, essay by Hans Hermann Hopper. Actually, the, um, I forgot the title of it, but it's about natural elite and how the state that we live in today, how democracy was actually uh, one of the reasons it came to power. It came to, it came to be the governments, the the so called governments, the, um, the the predominant governance model of our times. Because in time, in over history, monarchies have been the the predominant governance model. But now, in the, in our in the last century, it's been democracies. And how they got, how we got to democracies is because the intellectuals that were advising kings and queens back in the days, they weren't expensed enough. They were, they were, uh, they were the ones who were, who, 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 who were advising the kings and queens and they weren't paid enough. And so they decided with time that they would influence the kings and the monarch's decision to, to push more towards a democratic model that they would do better in. I'm trying to, I just read this essay once. I'm just trying to say that, um, how, how I'm trying to form this is that they, these intellectuals are the ones who ended up pushing for democracies that benefit them. And then you'll see these intellectual classes are the ones who run, uh, these democracies and they're the ones who pushed out uh monarchies over time as- but you see democracies can work but not at scale like the origin of democracies is very much like you're governing a city almost and you kind of know the problems in the city and you live there and you have skin in the game but when it scales out like this is take canada as an example because we've been taking it for so long you have the politicians with some representation in the regions not really power centralized in Ottawa, which is in the middle of nowhere. And they're so far removed from everything else. And then they're again removed, like we've been discussing, because they don't have real jobs. They're just career politicians, right? So that the hollows out the entire system. And on top of that, you have a, a gut or a, a gutting, gutting of culture where there is no cultural fabric uniting anything there's lack of cultural identity and morals and that just makes the whole system become dysfunctional it doesn't work at scale hopper points this that out that this is how monarchies became worse over time as well like the, the scaling is the problem so hopper points out in democracy the god of failed that the he doesn't really promote monarchy as an alternative it just says that it's it's better than this thing so it's the lesser of two evils, basically, according to Hoppe. Uh, and a, a, a consensualist society would be preferable. And he points out that, uh, like, before monarchies, there were these uh, feudal lords every here and there, right? And cantons and smaller city-states and so on. And you had a, a house this and house that defending their own uh, canton. And, and they were sort of equal uh, uh, to the law. And the the problems start when a a they sort of internally elect one one of them to be the ruler of the the larger nation state, and then he gets exemptions from from w- the law, so they can't really get to him, and then he can start uh, implementing all sorts of tax policies and whatnot that other people can't. So so you have the same problem with you, <laughs> what you said, Samson about. Um, 
the, the, the state having powers that the people don't have. So, and, and that's a problem that arises whenever you scale above the, it's, it seems like whenever you scale over Dunbar's number, really, but when, we, when you scale over uh, above, um, like city level. That's, that's a good point. Uh, Jean Jacques Rousseau, one of the early advocates of democracy said that it wasn't really, well, his, he advocated for democracy, but a much smaller scale. If he saw the, the, the scale that happens today, he would be horrified. As you said, it would be city level, Even you know, Rousseau not, would not be horrified. Yeah. Would be horrified. <laughs> not, not in the, in the multi-million populist level, maybe at a, and a million or two level is where it... No, but uh, Rousseau has been completely hijacked by the by the left, right? Yeah, of uh, course. But the fact, even yeah, but the, even the founding fathers didn't didn't in, in, the the United States founding fathers didn't really envisage uh, a democracy as well. <laughs> no, it's nowhere in the Constitution. The word just isn't there. This is all about property rights. Correct. the The problem with the Constitution is it can be interpreted in different ways by different people. So as you have that hollowing out of society and a cultural debt it just becomes less meaningful you have to write the constitution in terms of uh, super simple things like what here's the thing and this is what we mean by it specifically because people can interpret it in different ways just like you're saying the left has a uh, misappropriated something else it's the same same concept like as society crumbles the things that we writ wrote in the past have less meaning because they can't interpret it correctly anymore now the the Rothbardian view of the constitution is that it's it's simply an invalid contract because all the people who wrote it are dead. So <laughs> so it's just not uh, and it doesn't have any like the the uh, constitutional rights are uh, are violated by the American government all the time like and and their uh, co-opted uh, juridical system it's 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 a farce at this point right? Uh, when when judges can own prisons and stuff like it's it's really vulgar. The the Magna Carta is another uh, um, interesting document when it comes to constitutions. I think that if we're going back and f- trying to find a document that had a a great impact on you know societal progress, I, I think that's that's the that's the real one. But I don't really know where I'm going with that. So. so. Well, and I, I think I think we've had an interesting discussion about these governance types. It's always fascinating to dig into it, and I hope we can continue. And that uh, Jan three, with your unique perspectives and access to all of the uh, interesting forms of government going on right now in the advocacy for Bitcoin, that uh, we start to see some movements in the future towards more. Bitcoin-centric governance. I think that would be fantastic. But I think we have to we have to wrap uh, the discussion uh, up here. Uh, we're we're near our time limits now. So just to to leave this one, uh, what what are you most optimistic about in the coming time here? I'm very optimistic about the price of Bitcoin. I think most of us here are. <laughs> This is with or without uh, this ETF uh, mania, but I think yeah, I think adoption is going to be it's going to be a big topic next year. I think thanks to the bull run, regardless of the ETF approval or not, I think we're going to see a lot more people onboarding, a lot more people understanding money, a lot more people uh, being orange pill, a lot more people opening their eyes to how this world actually works, and then that makes our job 
even more exciting, even more, uh, I say, not easier, but uh, it opens up more doors and more opportunities for us to speak to more nations, more in, uh, more individuals around the world and spread the 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 ultimate government's model that is uh, that is Bitcoin. I'm optimistic about our mission to orange pill countries and to work with governments and politicians. It seems counterintuitive based on maybe what we've been discussing and our views on governance, but I think Bitcoin is the best way to fix it. The, the problem is governments are like a machine and these machines are hungry for capital. And all they know for how to feed themselves is to tax more and do things like UBI. But with Bitcoin, we can present them it's like a Trojan horse. We could present them with something that is better. And this thing that we're giving to them has the properties of uh, fixing them. It changes you when you get into sound money and you have sound money. And when you have vehicles or avenues to generate revenue, because when the state has no way to generate revenue, then you're the revenue. But if a country is tapping into its natural resources and mining Bitcoin and using the energy it has, like, for example, Canada has so much energy potential. We could fit three entire Bitcoin networks into Canada's energy grid easily. But that's just an example. Like, there's many countries around the world that could tap into their energy to mine Bitcoin and finance everything they need to do. Combine that with downsizing government, and you end up with a far better future, I believe, than what we have going right now. Here, here. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I share your views completely in these matters. And uh, uh, I think we both do. And uh, looking forward so much to seeing you both on Madeira. And uh, until then, Happy New Year and um, good luck with the launch of the Aqua Wallet. You guys. Well, happy it's launching today, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it is yeah. today. Yes, today. It's today. So it's, it's, today. it's today. Yeah, yeah. It's quote yeah. unquote today. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thank you both so much for joining us and thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks.